Thank you, Dr. Orr. It is good to be home. We were not able to be here very long when I retired from the pastorate and came to the Baptist Manor and uh, tried to do what I could to close that place down. Uh, then we were called to the little church down in Gay, Georgia, and let me encourage you to pray for us. We we're a struggling little church. Uh, we we're enjoying it there. We enjoyed our time here, and my wife Donna is not able to be with us. She's uh, not feeling well this morning, and uh, beside that, she said, I've already heard that sermon, and uh, it didn't do her any good either, but uh, this is the second time this week that I've got to preach to Jimmy. The first time didn't work. Maybe these next time, two times will. Uh, It is just a joy to be here And we thank you. I was telling uh, Dr. Orr earlier, this is the only church that my wife and I chose for ourselves. Every other church, God called us there, and we had no choice but to go. But we had a choice here, and uh, we came, but almost did not, almost did not join. First Wednesday night, we attended prayer meeting. We walked in the little room up there, and Jimmy was sitting at the piano and playing the piano. I thought, well, that's good. The next Sunday we came and he was singing. And I went home and I told my wife, I said, we can't join that church. You can't trust a piano playing singing preacher. (laughs) And anybody's got more talent than me, I don't like. And you do. Thank you for being our pastor. Still are. If you would, find the scripture and turn uh, to Second Samuel, Second Samuel, make that First Samuel. First Samuel, the seventh chapter. First Samuel, the seventh chapter. How long do you usually preach? I've forgotten. Two, three hours. Boy, you're in for a treat this morning. <laughs> Beginning with the third verse. Then Samuel said to all the people of Israel, If you are really serious about wanting to return to the Lord, get rid of your foreign gods and your images of Asheroth. Determine to obey only the Lord, then he will rescue you from the Philistines. And so the Israelites destroyed their images of Baal and Asheroth and and worshipped only the Lord. Then Samuel told them, Come to Mezbah, all of you. I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered there, and in a great ceremony, drew water from a well, and poured it out before the Lord. They also went without food all day, and confessed that they had sinned against the Lord. So it was at Mezbah that Samuel became Israel's judge. In verses 7 through uh, verse 9, the Philistine army hears about this, and uh, so they began to take up arms. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But then in verse 12, Samuel then took a large stone and placed it between the towns of Mezpah and Jeshona. And he named it Ebenezer, the stone of help, for he said, 
up to this point, the Lord has helped us. Either in your Bible or in your mind, underline the word Ebenezer. Let's pray. Father, we just ask that you would quieten our lives now that we may hear your voice. And may we hear the sounds of the shuffling sandal feet of your son in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, what in the world is an Ebenezer? Evidently, it's something you can raise up because there is that old hymn that says, Here I raise up mine Ebenezer, higher by the help I've come. Ebenezer. Apparently, it is a name that you can give to a church. For there are at least 15 Southern Baptist churches in Georgia named Ebenezer. Ebenezer. It's not a word that's found in our vocabulary, is it? When was the last time in a conversation you just simply said, let's talk about an Ebenezer? Or let me tell you about my Ebenezer. However, Ebenezer was a very important word to the children, the people of Israel. It means the stone of help. As the story is told in our text, the Israelites were frightened to death by the Philistine army that was approaching them, and they begged Samuel, the prophet, to pray to the Lord for help. When he did so, the Lord responded with a tremendous uh, thunderstorm that put the army, the enemy, to rout. In the eyes of this grateful people, Samuel then goes and he erects a stone monument as a testimony to their deliverance and called it Ebenezer, saying, this is where God has helped us. That was the monument that carried the actual name Ebenezer. But it wasn't the only such rock monument in in, uh, Israel. If you'll read through the Old Testament, you get the impression that the countryside was just dotted here and there with these little monuments unto God. All of them were, in a sense, Ebenezer's, that is, testimonies to specific experiences of God's faithfulness to His people. Now, of all the nations of that time, probably only Israel had Ebenezer's. Because Israel was the only people whose faith was based on concrete experience with the living God. Neighboring nations worshipped in recurring cycles of nature. For instance, the Greeks, above all, were nature worshippers. Then they became philosophers whose religion consisted largely upon their own thoughts. Israel, in contrast, knew God by 
personal experience. He was the one that had delivered them from bondage in from bondage in Egypt. He is the one that led them through the Red Sea. He is the one that on the top of Mount Sinai had given to them the law. He is the one that on their journey through the wilderness supplied the manna for their food. He is the one that brought them into the land that he had promised them. Because they were a people of experience, they also became a monument-building people. Now, Israel's monuments were not like the great towers of Babylon or the, the pyramids in Egypt. They were large rocks that had just been piled upon one another, erected on a site where God had helped them, where God had been very, very faithful to them. Now, as these people would walk around in their neighbor, uh, their homes or traveling to distant places, Israelites might encounter one or more of these simple monuments. They would be reminded that on this spot, in past days, God had delivered His people, and they would know that their grateful predecessors had stopped here and given thanks. At the Jordan River, there were 12 stones erected as a monument to that miraculous crossing. And when the children asked, what mean ye these stones? The fathers were to tell how God had cut off the waters of the river before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and allowed them to pass through. Now, we 21st century Christians may be thousands of years removed from the original Ebenezer, but we too can look back on great experiences with God. That's one of the reasons I love homecomings. You can go back to a place where God had been real to you. You can go back to a place where there were experiences in your life where God helped. Christianity is more than just a set of rules to be obeyed or a congregation to be joined. By the way, I need to do this, the Rolling Stones. Uh, Elvis Presley. Conway Twitty. Now, I don't know how he did it last week, but somebody said last Tuesday that he had put all these singing groups in his sermon. Those are my singing groups in my sermon. (laughs) Christianity is more than just a set of rules or a congregation to be joined. First and foremost... Our faith is a person to be followed. And He is a Lord to be trusted and obeyed. After this comes the possibilities of understanding what it's all about 
being a Christian, living out in obedience and becoming a part of a congregation because the gospel at its heart is experience with Christ. And so I say to us this morning, we too need Ebenezer's. Every one of us, if we have not had an Ebenezer, we need to start building Ebenezer's because I'm here to tell you this morning that every one of us in this room has experienced God's help somewhere along the line. But have you built a memorial to that time? We need to build Ebenezer. The time will come when doubt creeps in and faith needs bolstering. God is always there. There are those times when we face serious illness, a death in in the family, the loss of a job, or some serious setback. But I want to tell you, God is always there. At those times, we are blessed if we have Ebenezer's, that if we can go back and remember there was another time when I was suffering, when I was having a hard time, God came and helped me. And that gives us reassurance in our faith. When we build our Ebenezer's, our, and our children come to us, and they say, why do you believe what you believe? It's not necessary to fall back on the ideas and the testimony of of others. If there are Ebenezer's in our lives, we can recall those experiences and say to our children, I know that God is faithful because He's been faithful to me. The memory of a time when God supplied physical or emotional needs is an Ebenezer. When I was pastor of the First Baptist Church down in Fitzgerald, Georgia, during a sharing time in a prayer meeting, a woman stood up and asked for prayer for her broken marriage. The next Sunday morning, she and her estranged husband were in church together, seated side by side. That seat in that church, in that sanctuary, is an Ebenezer that that man and woman will never forget, nor will that congregation ever forget. The time of one's conversion may be an Ebenezer. And I would say to these young people who were baptized to this morning that, that you would make this an Ebenezer. A time of memory, memorial of God's great salvation. But then there may be something as concrete as a church building that can be an Ebenezer. That is the reason many people are reluctant to agree to relocate a church. I've been there. They forget that brick and mortar does not make the church. They are simply Ebenezer's that remind people of God's presence. When this church, and we were not here at the time, first started talking about relocating the church down the road to uh, there, there were probably some people said, it can't be done. 
There were probably people says it won't be done. But that building that will go up right down the road, just as this building will serve as an Ebenezer to remind us of God's ability to do things and it is much greater than our ability to imagine. Let me tell you about my Ebenezer, or one of them. My first church was like most pastors. It was just a small little country church, white clapboard. Uh, lovely people. I, I went back not long ago and just looked around and thought to myself, this really is an Ebenezer. But one morning I woke up and I had to make a trip into Atlanta to, to, to make hospital visits. And as I visited, there just seemed to be a great burden that came down upon my shoulders. I could not shake it, and on the drive home, which was about an hour, I kept thinking to myself, what in the world am I feeling? Uh, of all preachers, I ought to be the happiest preacher in the world. I, I have a loving congregation. I have a loving family. I have support in every direction I turn. What is wrong? And, and that foreboding just came down upon me. And I said to myself, when I get back to the church, I'm going to go to my place of prayer and I'm going to spend the rest of the day in prayer. Now you need to know that in every church I've ever pastored, my place of prayer is the center chair in the choir loft. It's the only time my churches would ever let me sing. It's the only time my churches would ever let me sit in the choir loft. But I came home and I went to my place of prayer in the choir loft and I began to pray. The first thing I thought about was a cousin who was in, in seminary and was struggling financially at the time. And so I began to pray about Johnny. And God said, no. And then I began to pray about an aunt that was very sick. And God said, no. And then I began to pray about my community. And God said, no. And then I began to pray about my church. And God said, no. And I said, well, what about me? Can I pray about me? And he said, son, I already know all there is to know about you. And I spent there the rest of my time just singing, praying, meditating upon God. As I said a moment ago, I had opportunity to go back several, a couple of years ago and to preach homecoming. And that little white clapboard church is still there. But across the street is a 1,200-seat sanctuary. Know what I found out? Every church has prospered after I left. <laughs> after the message sermon and 
the time of fellowship around the table, the homecoming dinner, I took the pastor by the arm and I said, can we go across the street into the old church? And he said, I'll have to see if we can find a key. And he found a key and we went over. And I stood in that church and I pointed to that middle chair, which is still there in that choir loft. And I said, that is a sacred place to me. That's where I found out God knows all about me. And he still loves me. That is an Ebenezer in my heart and in my life. Of course, Ebenezer's doesn't always turn out happily. But even the bad ones, those experiences that are terrible, become Ebenezer's when we allow God to work in us and we allow God to work through us. In 1956, there were five missionaries in Ecuador who were murdered. I almost said tragically, but any murder is tragedy. They were kind and selfless representatives of Christ. They were killed by the very people they had come to help. Sometime later, the wives of those missionaries went back and they began to share the gospel. That entire tribe that had killed the missionaries became Christians. That's an Ebenezer. The rapid expansion of ministry in that area is an Ebenezer. They are Ebenezers that are testifying to the fact that out of the ashes of tragedy, God can grow beautiful flowers. Now Israel wasn't supposed to think that its Ebenezers would guarantee God would make everything go their way. Those Ebenezers served as a reminder that even in the bad times, God shares His love with us. God shares His care for us. He's done it in the past. He can be trusted to do it now and in the future. Let me ask you a question. Do you have some monument in your life? Have you built an Ebenezer somewhere along the line where it proves that God is faithful to you? Where it proves that God... has come to you in the dark days of your life. My youngest daughter, 
I can't believe I'm married to a woman old enough to have a daughter that old. When she was in high school, she was dating this guy I just didn't like. I don't know if you ever like any of them. But this guy, I just didn't like him. I still don't like him. Thank God for breakups. I came home one day, and my youngest daughter had a cat. Now, folks, I don't like cats. Now, you say, well, preacher, you, that, that, you pray for me. I don't like cats. I can't help it. I don't like cats. But here was a cat in my house. Kelly, you can't keep that cat, but Herman gave it to me. You can't keep the cat, and you certainly can't keep the cat in the house. And she began to cry. But Daddy Herman gave it to me. Okay, you can keep the cat. But it can't stay in the house. But Daddy, it's cold. And there's no place outside. Well, he can stay until it gets warm. (laughs) And when it gets warm weather, he's got to go. And for a year, Herman, by the way, I named him after Herman. (laughs) And after about a year... Let me back up. It wasn't but just a few days. I woke up one morning, and I heard a purring. And Herman was lying next to my bed, sound asleep. Cat, don't you know I don't like you? But there he was. And every night when we'd go to bed, you could hear Herman making his way to my side of the bed, laying on the floor, and he slept there. I don't like cats. (laughs) After about a year, we went to bed. Herman didn't show up. I woke Kelly up and I said, Kelly, where's Herman? And she said, well, I don't know. She had come in from a date with Herman. (laughs) And she said, I don't know. And so I get up and I walk all through the house, no Herman. I don't like cats. I go outside looking for Herman. I can't find him. I go to the neighbor's yard in the middle of the night looking for Herman, and I can't find him. Just by chance, I happened to walk to the street, and there was Herman lying in the street dead, hit by a car. I picked 
the cat up and started walking back to the house and started crying. Kelly met me at the door, saw me crying, saw Herman. Well, as preacher fathers and maybe other fathers do, early the next morning we had a funeral. And we buried Herman next to the lake in our backyard. Kelly went back a couple of years ago to a class reunion of the high school where she graduated. And she came back and she said, Daddy, I went by the old house. And I stopped and I knocked on the door and I asked them, Can I go? in the backyard by the lake. And she told them the story of Herman being buried there. I had come to love Herman because my daughter loved Herman. She went, she stood some some time there, and she came back. And she said, I went by Herman's grave. And Daddy... That's the first time I ever really knew that you loved me. And I will never forget where Herman is buried. That's an Ebenezer to her. She found out her daddy loved her. Do you have, do you have an Ebenezer that you can go back and know that the Father loves you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. And I pray now that you would take this time of invitation and speak to our hearts. Remind us of those Ebenezer's of the past, that we might go to the future with great confidence and assurance that you are there. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.